Welcome. This is James Corbett of The Corbett Report with your eye-opener report for BoilingFrogsPost.com. A recent article in Wired has once again brought attention to the issue of the CIA's relationship to mainstream media in the United States. The article, entitled The CIA Pitches Scripts to Hollywood, highlights the CIA's Public Affairs Office's Entertainment Industry Liaison, an officer that works with writers, producers, and showbiz execs to develop scripts and stories, provide tours of CIA headquarters, and arrange interviews with agents about their background. As the Wired article points out, the office also provides ideas for stories about the agency and its assets for those who are looking for the material for a spy thriller. Although the thought of the CIA working hand-in-hand with Hollywood and the publishing industry to provide officially sanctioned agency yarns is unsettling to many, the entertainment liaison position has been around for years, and the topic of how the CIA has worked to furnish the creators of Hollywood films like Charlie Wilson's War with their inaccurate take on the agency's history has been explored in depth. What is even more disturbing than the agency's whitewashing of its own history and methods in works of fiction, however, is the less closely examined relationship of the CIA to the news media. It is uncontested fact that the CIA has enjoyed a long and intimate relationship with some of the largest news organizations in the world, and has used this relationship to manipulate, censor, and even fabricate news stories in support of its own covert agenda. The story of that relationship was told most famously and most comprehensively by Carl Bernstein in Rolling Stone magazine in 1977. In his landmark article entitled The CIA and the Media, Bernstein outlined the history of the agency's use of assets in the news media from the 1950s through the 70s. The ties between the intelligence community and the news organizations were formalized at the highest levels of management and ownership and included, according to Bernstein, cooperation with media tycoons like Arthur Hayes Sulzberger of the New York Times, Henry Luce of Time Inc., and William Paley of CBS. Toward the end of his career, Sig Mickelson, the head of CBS News in the 1950s and the man credited with launching the career of the most trusted man in America, Walter Cronkite, admitted that CBS News worked closely with the CIA. Uh, at CBS, uh, we uh, had been contacted by the CIA. As a matter of fact, by the time I became the head of the whole news and public affairs operation in 1954, ships had been established and I was told about them and asked if I'd carry on with them. I think it was entirely in order for our correspondents at that time uh, to make use of uh, CIA agent uh, chiefs uh, of station and other members of the executive staff of CIA as sources of information which were useful in their assessments of world conditions. Would you say that continues today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. The Bernstein article drew heavily on the findings of the Church Committee of 1975 and 1976, a congressional investigation into the actions of the intelligence community, to identify the various types of associations between the CIA and the media, from legitimate, accredited reporters who worked with the agency or carried out tasks on its behalf, often on a voluntary basis, to stringers and freelancers directly on the agency payroll, to columnists and commentators like C.L. Sulzberger of the New York Times and the Alsop brothers of the Saturday Evening Post and Newsweek, who could be counted on to insert agency-friendly comments and editorials into leading news outlets, thus effectively setting the, the agenda for the national media. 
The Church Committee exposed some of the dirt of the CIA's interference in domestic media, officially established as Operation Mockingbird by Frank Wisner, the director of the agency's covert intelligence branch, the Office of Special Projects, in 1948. However, when the committee began asking more specific and more potentially damaging questions, the CIA, then under the leadership of George H.W. Bush, issued a blanket statement that it would stop directly employing journalists and quietly directed the committee to change the focus of its inquiry. I thought that it was a matter of uh, real concern that planted stories intended to serve a national purpose abroad um, came home and were circulated here and believed here because uh, this would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. Now we're looking at that very carefully. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to a major circulation American journal? We do have people who submit pieces to other two American journals. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks? This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into in executive session. Over the years, numerous specific examples of the agency's manipulation of the news media have surfaced, including multiple instances where stories that had been outright fabricated by CIA assets had resulted in the justification for military intervention. In the 1980s, for instance, a story about Russian MiGs being delivered to Nicaragua appeared on the front page of the New York Times. A CIA analyst turned whistleblower David McMichael later revealed this had been completely made up, but was reported as fact as a way of manipulating public opinion to support U.S. intervention in the region. How about this for a story? Just under a year ago, the Americans discovered a Soviet freighter carrying MiG fighter planes, which they said were on their way to Nicaragua. Here's the story on the front of the Times. Moscow warned on Nicaraguan MiGs, and there's a picture of a MiG-21. According to President Reagan, this showed that Nicaragua was a threat to the United States. Uh, and as it turned out, this was, uh, the evidence for this was based on satellite photography, which showed crates at an East European port uh, facility, uh, which were determined to be, in the science of cratology, the uh, crates of the sort in which MiG aircraft uh, frequently were shipped. And subsequent photographs a day or two later uh, showed that these crates had, were no longer on the dock. And an amazing uh, leap of logic it, uh, was advanced that necessarily they must have been uh, delivered to, to Nicaragua or were on their way to be delivered to Nicaragua. Well, the, you know, it's the usual thing. The charge makes the headlines. The retraction makes the inside pages. Eight or ten days later, it's revealed, well, MiGs weren't on the way, but that's no longer a headline. So what one is left with is the overall impression from the screaming headlines of the week earlier that Nicaragua continues to represent this enormous danger to the security of the United States, this nation of three million impoverished souls, half of whom are under the age of 15, you know. In an infamous story from the 1970s revealed by CIA whistleblower John Stockwell, 
A story about rapes committed by Cuban soldiers in Angola, which was widely reported around the world, had in fact been completely made up by CIA assets in the press. So he came up with another story, which he in fact kept going for weeks, and it was a good story in terms of the CIA's propaganda interests. He had some Cuban soldiers uh, raping some young Angolan girls. Uh, then there was a battle and he had uh, that Cuban unit cut off and captured. And then he had the Cuban women, the victims, identifying their rapists. And then there was a trial and they were convicted. And then he had them executed by a firing squad of the women who had supposedly been violated with photographs of, of, of young African women with uh, weapons shooting down these Cubans. Uh, there had never been a rape. There had never been the military action. The Cubans had never been captured. Uh, it was all fiction. Stockwell did extremely well with this story. Here's the Daily Express of March the 12th, 1976. Gun girls execute Cuban rapists is the headline. And quoting from UNITA, it says that 17 Cubans were executed, five of whom had been identified as the people who had raped four African women a few weeks before. And here's the evening standard, with a bit more convincing detail, saying the Cubans were shot with their own guns. And here's the Daily Telegraph, the newspaper of record, adding a bit more detail, identifying the region from which the women came and saying that they took part in the executions. The reporter was John Bullock. I haven't the faintest idea whether it was true, and I never said it was true. I reported somebody as saying that, as telling me that story. I certainly didn't report the facts. Similarly, in Libya this year, shortly after Obama admitted the presence of covert operatives on the ground in Libya, identified as CIA agents by the New York Times, with the admitted goal of destabilizing the Gaddafi government, a story surfaced about Gaddafi's troops that was immediately picked up and reported unquestioningly by nearly every news outlet in the world. In the morgue, Gaddafi soldiers killed in the fight for Ashdabia, and in the pockets of their uniforms, Viagra and condoms, weapons of war. President Muammar Gaddafi is also rejecting allegations. He ordered his troops to rape women as a way to spread fear and dissent in the early days of the liberation. Now the International Criminal Court says there is evidence that Colonel Gaddafi ordered his forces to use rape as a weapon of war. And that's why for was, we had doubts at the beginning, but now we're more convinced. Apparently he decided to, to punish using rapes who in the Libya tradition is really something very bad, beyond the limits, I would say. And also, we are finding some elements confirming this issue of acquisition of um, Viagra type of, of uh, medicaments to show in the policy. No? They, they were buying containers with products to enhance the possibility to rape women and we, we are possibly getting the information on that in detail, confirming the policy. So we're trying to see who was involved. Well, one of the things he wants to investigate now, he says, is priorities to investigate allegations of rape, rape that may be systematic and rape that's being assisted, he said, by the distribution of Viagra or Viagra-like products, sexually uh, performance-enhancing products that are getting in the hands of uh, Gaddafi's forces and are being used uh, as part of gang rape. And these are allegations. 
It was later admitted that there was in fact no evidence whatsoever to back up these assertions, but that news was not heralded with anything near the same attention that the original accusations had garnered. It's universally understood that such operations still take place, but without whistleblowers and insiders exposing the truth, it's impossible to tell exactly what stories in our own day and age have been completely fabricated by intelligence agencies with a vested interest in manipulating public opinion. We can see the tentacles of the CIA when it steps in to attempt to stop the publication of certain stories, however, as when the agency threatened independent documentary filmmakers John Duffy and Ray Novoselsky from publishing the names of two recently identified CIA agents, Alfreda Francis Bukowski and Michael Ann Casey. The two were threatened with legal action should they publish the names of Bukowski and Casey under a law preventing the naming of CIA analysts that has never in history been applied to journalists who discovered such information in the public record, as Duffy and Novoselsky did. Earlier this week, Washington Post national security correspondent Joby Warwick confirmed on the Peter B. Collins podcast that the Post knew about the identity of Bukowski for years, but it held off on publishing the story at the behest of the CIA. It is no longer disputed that the CIA has maintained an extensive and ongoing relationship with news organizations and journalists, and multiple specific acts of media manipulation have now been documented. But as long as the public continues to ignore the influence of intelligence agencies in shaping or even fabricating news stories, the agency will continue to be able to set the policy that drives the American war machine at will. This video is part of a new weekly video news series. Future editions of this series will be available to subscribers of BoilingFrogsPost.com. For more news and commentary from James Corbett, please visit CorbettReport.com.